Well, welcome to another edition of Intentional Conversations. On Intentional Conversations, we seek to interview leaders in men's ministry to help men grow spiritually and help leaders and pastors to reach men in today's culture, discussing issues we men face every day. This is a program where a men's ministry leader interviews leaders in men's ministry. I am Mike Sandlin of Cape Fear Men. If you have heard me speak or listened to any of my podcasts, you undoubtedly have heard me quote Ecclesiastes 4, 9, and 10. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and not have another to lift him up. This scripture is just one of many scriptures that encourage men to have other men in their lives. In this program, we will discuss uh, this with my guests as we look into dealing with struggles through a unique analogy, the need for men to spend time with other men through a unique concept. My guest today is Jeff Kemp. But before we welcome Jeff to the program, let me share a little bit about, uh, about Jeff. Jeff grew up in a close-knit family with a background in pro football, political leadership, and ministry leadership. After his 11 years in NFL, he shifted his quarterbacking to targets of strengthening marriage, fatherhood, and men. Through Jeff Kemp Team, Jeff does teamwork training and soul coaching for CEOs and top leaders. Jeff's mission stems from the love of Jesus and the father-son relationship God offers us men. Through Men Huddle, Jeff speaks to men and calls them to identity, manhood, and intentional friendship in Christ with a couple of men. He is committed to helping God call men into their weekly men huddle. Jeff's own men huddle fellowship adventures are highlights, uh, annual highlights, excuse me, annual highlights uh, for himself. He is also the author of the book, Facing the Bliss, Three Strategies for Turning Trials into Triumphs. His fatherhood, he is the fatherhood uh, ambassador for the Fatherhood Code uh, Mission, and their fathering partners around the nation. Jeff sees problems through the opportunity vision of a quarterback facing a blitz and the Romans 8.28 example of Joseph, who knew that God turned what was meant for evil into good. Jeff describes his wife, Stacy, as a super capable, strong, and Jesus anchor, and they have four married sons and five awesome grandsons. Jeff, uh, welcome to uh, Intentional Conversations. appreciate you being with me today. Thank you, Mike. I love the intentionality of intentional conversations. <laughs> well, that's great. And, you know, I, 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 uh, when I read your bio, you got that, that scripture there, uh, Romans 8.28. That's, uh, that's uh, if you want to say a favorite verse, that's one of my favorite verses in life because of things that's happened throughout my life uh, is I can look back and see what things may be some people may have meant for bad or the world would see it as bad, but God meant it for good. And uh, that is so uh, meaningful to me. My wife, my wife recognized that and got me a decal that's over the head of my bed. So that's the last thing I see every night before I go to bed. So that's a, that's a great verse in my opinion. And uh, one of the things I'd like to ask all my guests uh, as we begin is a verse that maybe speaking to you directly right now, a favorite verse or just a life verse or just a particular verse that God may be speaking to you right now and why that verse may be uh, having an impact on your life. Well, I'll, I'll uh, tee off of the Romans 8, 28 and 29 passage because it's interesting you mentioned it being over your bed. Um, it's literally the passage that led me to Jesus Christ and giving my life to him at age 21 as I was graduating from Dartmouth College. Uh, I'd grown up in the church, Christian family, had the beliefs, had the label, had the uh, intellectual knowledge, um, but it really drifted 
during my latter high school and four years of college. Um, I hadn't rebelled. I was just a little bit off track and you drift up two degrees for four years, you can be a long ways gone. And uh, mm-hmm. I found myself uh, finally less um, fearful and insecure due to my acne and my third string quarterback status and my lack of popularity with the guys and girls. And that stuff started to come uh, around. My acne cleared up. I became a starter in college. I got good grades. I was dating multiple girls. I had a great bunch of fraternity friends, um, had good grades at school. And I I had a contract with the LA Rams to uh, try out and hopefully reach my dream of playing quarterback in the NFL. And so when I was graduating, everything looked better than ever before, Mike. And uh, mm. we're having parties for about a week straight before the graduation day. And uh, I was going to, to, to bed each night pretty late, you know, early in the morning and uh, drunk from partying all day. But a couple nights in a row when I went to lay down, I think I was spiritually sober as could be because I think God was knocking on my heart and he used Romans 8:28 that I'd memorized as a, as a junior higher. Um, and it came in my head and, and that verse struck me that it says all things work together for good for those who love God, but it doesn't stop yep. there. Yep. It says for those who are called according to his purpose. And that hit me like a ton of bricks. I realized even though I'm feeling super successful and I'm having a lot of fun. I'm actually still insecure. I'm actually still a follower. I'm actually still pretty darn selfish. And I'm afraid of going out to LA and not making the team. Who will I be then other than a failure? So what I realized was I'm succeeding, but I'm empty. And the reason is because I've made Jeff my purpose instead of Jesus. And so that verse helped me realize I need to be called according to God's purpose, Christ's purpose. Uh, And, you know, the second verse there, Romans 8, 29, says that his purpose for us, all of us, is to be conformed to the image of Jesus. Man, if I get to to be changed to be more like Jesus, I'll be a much better friend, a much better uh, rookie trying out with the Rams, a much better teammate, quarterback, potential leader, husband, father. Anything we do is better if we are conformed to the humble image of Jesus Christ who lived in constant relationship with his heavenly father. So that verse basically triggered my uh, commitment. And, uh, you know, it's always a partial surrender at that point. But as best I understood, my surrender to God. And I went out to the Rams, made the team, met my wife, had got discipled, great friends that loved God. And then God started teaching me things through our pro career. Um, so that verse really was central, Mike, and uh, it's all, always has been key to, to my life and my wife. God has a bigger purpose. Um, he turns the negatives into positives. That was the story of Joseph's life. He had so many negatives, so many blitzes. Um, you know, he was a Patrick Mahomes type quarterback that could turn any blitz into a touchdown. <laughs> And uh, he, he saw God. He stayed faithful to God, even when his brother sold him. And, and, and uh, he had to go to another country, and he was stuck in jail for years. Uh, and all these – he was falsely accused um, of going after Potiphar's wife. Um, all these terrible things happened. Uh, and then a drought came after he'd been out of prison and, and had actually risen to a great position of leadership. And God had given him vision, and he had uh, used the economic – 
blessing to prepare for the drought. And he ended up saving not just the people of Egypt, but also his own family from Israel who returned. And when they were wor worried uh, after their father, uh, Jacob, died, that he would take retribution and revenge on them, yep. the yep. brothers were panicked. Joseph yep. saw that and he said, don't worry. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. Yep. Yep. Joseph That's saw. Joseph saw the big picture, the movie. He didn't just see the snapshot of yep. the trouble, the trial, the disappointment, the loss, the cancer, the divorce, uh, the getting cut, uh, the business going bankrupt, uh, COVID. He, he didn't just see the moment. He saw God's whole scope of being mm -hmm. at work mm -hmm. to transform things from broken and disconnected into healed and connected for his glory. So that's, that's my uh, story and metaphor and Bible verse for life. And I think men need it because we get blitzed a lot and we need to learn to handle blitzes the way Jesus did and turn them into positives. Amen. I agree. I totally agree. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of the same, same things that happened in my life, so to speak, in, in many ways, not, you know, uh, 13 years ago, actually almost 15 years ago. Now that I think about it, uh, I was diagnosed with cancer and, you know, a lot of people just kind of, Kind of forget about everything else and just focus on the cancer but mm -hmm. but the understanding is is that uh i knew god had another plan and that's actually what drove me into doing uh, uh getting involved in men's leadership was through wow. that cancer god used that as a catalyst to change my focus on uh in, on mission and ministry of life so yeah 828 is uh, romans 828 is, is powerful but we're, uh, uh, and, and I appreciate you sharing that. that. That also goes along a little bit with my second question about how, how did you come to Christ? What was your story of coming to Christ? And you got to share that a little bit through, well, through, that's that, exactly, through that. That's exactly the story. I don't know that I would have had all that much courage to make the bold choice for Christ mm -hmm. and really start going after him and letting him change me at Dartmouth with all my fraternity brothers. Mm -hmm. Um Obviously, God can handle any situation, but I think the way he orchestrated things, um, when I chose him as my purpose, he unfolded a fascinating plan. It was right at the moment I was graduating from school, going out to California and uh, going to hang out in Anaheim and go to training camp in Fullerton, uh, where the Rams training camp was. And I immediately met the chaplain, John Warehouse, who played for the Dodgers, George Andrews, George Lilja, um, and... Uh, um, Jackie Slater, Walt Arnold, um, a, a bunch of great believers, right? And uh, Doug Smith. And I started growing in the team Bible study. And these were my friends and they these were my role models. These were my brothers. I was huddling with them literally on the field and off the field, sharing our lives, praying for one another, being real. And then I met my wife that summer who was committed to Christ and she needed to be to put up with me and uh, stick with me. <laughs> and we had a marriage forged on our bond with Christ, which we needed because we're both very, very strong leaders, but opposite in every other area, which means we have a lot of friction and challenge in our marriage. And yet we got the help we needed year in and year out through mentors and conferences and Christian teaching and the Bible. And uh, our marriage grew strong enough not to be perfect, but to help other marriages, which was what we ended up doing on the teams we were on in our neighborhood and then in our church. And that's what led us 
kind of into uh, the world that we're in today, which includes a lot of ministry to marriage, and for me, ministry to men and husbands. So yeah, that verse led me to give my life to Jesus Christ. Um, the thing I wanted to go back to, you said, what verse, what verse or passage is influencing you right now? And since the early part of COVID, back in April or May, um, I had been reading a couple books and talking to a friend, Ed McGlasson, um, who played in the NFL and has a ministry called the Blessing of the Father Ministries. And I'd been realizing that I, I've had a really good dad, but um, no dad is perfect. And spiritually, I really needed to figure out what my identity was as a son of the Heavenly Father. And I got the idea from Ed McGlasson that I could be refathered by my Heavenly Father if I just started asking him questions and inviting him to refather me and viewed myself every day, every minute as a son of God, not as Jeff Camp Christian. And uh, so, boy, the book Father God, Dare to Draw Near by Dave Patty and a couple of Ed Tandy McGlasson's books um, made a big difference. And then I started asking questions in my journal. And over the months from May, uh, you know, nine months, 10 months until today, I have been experiencing more and more being identified as God's son and living by the received principle, which Jesus lived by, which was found in multiple parts of the Bible where Jesus talked about um, my father's always at work and I'm always about his work. And I don't say or do anything except what he gives me. So Jesus, who was brilliant, who was perfect, <laughs> who was God, he always connected to the Father, always listened to the Father, and only did what the Father gave him to do. That's the receive principle. We usually don't talk to God till we're in trouble, and we tried our thing, and it didn't work out, which is foolish. So I guess I'll say that the two uh, amazing passages that basically say the same thing that I've really dwelt a lot on this year um, are the spots where Jesus is spoken of by his heavenly Father. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's in Matthew 3, 16 and 17, and then later in Matthew 17 uh, at the transfiguration. So in the first passage, Jesus is getting baptized. And after John the Baptist baptizes him, Jesus comes out of the water. The Holy Spirit uh, dove flies down um, to Jesus and God's booming, amazing voice. I'd love to have heard it. Says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And right there, God names Jesus he blesses Jesus like the Jewish fathers have blessed their sons uh, and daughters through the years. And he gave him his identity, son. Yeah. He declared that he's unconditionally loved. And then he said, you have my pleasure. I take pleasure in him. And then the same thing was said when he was transfigured in front of Peter, James, and John up on the yeah. mountain. And again, God's voice said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He is the chosen one. Listen to him. So God said, this is my son. I love him. I have pleasure in him. And then he added a, a fourth thing. He said, his place, his mission, his role is as my chosen one that you should listen to. So God gave him that authority and that mission. And Mike, I think those two verses are reminding me, and I want the, to remind every guy listening here, personally, if he's a leader, he needs to receive it. And secondly, as a leader, he needs to help other men receive it because they probably didn't get it from their dad, that 
their identity isn't as a Christian. It isn't as a speaker. It's not as a men's leader. It's not the, the president of a company or um, a backup quarterback or a podcaster. No, their identity is as a son of God, a beloved, well-loved son, a son who God smiles on and likes, even though we keep messing up and have a lot of hidden faults and sin in us, he still smiles on us because Jesus wiped all that out. And then finally, uh, we have a place in God's mission. We have a place in his family. We have a place in heaven. He calls us ambassadors for Christ, 2 Corinthians 520. Um, so we've got a place in God's mission to restore people's relationship back to him and build up this eternal kingdom. And so those verses of what God said to Jesus, which he also can say to you and me, because of Jesus imputing that righteousness and forgiveness to us, that's my identity. That's my calling. Yeah, I want to live as a son, and I want every man to discover and live as a son by that same received principle that Jesus lived by. Amen. I think I think that's that, that is great words of wisdom there because there are so many so many men in today's culture, even in the church itself, who's uh, living a life that they don't fully recognize that they are a beloved son of God, and uh, and they need to identify in that manner because yeah. their whole their whole uh, concept of of moving forward in life and being being a child of God will just completely change, be a radical change in their life when, yeah. they, when they capture that. They say, Mike, that the two most important things shaping how our life unfolds and how we live are, number one, our view of God, mm -hmm. and number two, our view of ourselves. Mm -hmm. And if you have an inadequate or inaccurate view of God, perhaps when the word father is said, it's damaged by what your earthly father modeled to you, and you don't realize no, this is the heavenly father, the, like the father, the prodigal's father that jumped off the porch and ran to his repentant son and hugged him and threw a party for him and had the grill fired <laughs> up and got him a ring and a robe uh, yeah. and, and new sandals and uh, even told the older brother who was kind of upset that the younger brother was getting a party, said, hey, everything I've always had is yours. Come on in and enjoy the party. I yeah. love you both unconditionally. That's yeah. the type of father we have. So number one, we need to see Father God as benevolent, good strong, sovereign, providential, and kind beyond our wildest imagination. And B, we need to see ourselves as his sons that he loves and he smiles on because Jesus wiped out the old man and its sin. Mm -hmm. and, you know what, and you know what I love about that story of Luke 15 about the prodigal son? I don't think a lot of people... Uh, see that, but the uh, Lord kind of showed that to me one day, was when it says that the father ran to his son, it does not say how far he had to run. It's, it was a sense of as soon as he saw the intent of his son and the change in his life to return to him, he went to him, you know, just yes. like our heavenly father. As soon as he sees our heart has changed, the intent of our heart has changed back towards him, He's there. It doesn't matter where you're at. And this particular son was in the pigsty, so to speak. You know, he, he was he was feeding the pigs. He was living the peace. And Hebrew children didn't do that. Hebrew men didn't do that. You know, that no. was yeah, that was a no-no. But, but he the, went there. The thing, the thing you point out is as soon as the son became humble, that's when the father started running to him. Amen. It wasn't after the son took a shower bought some new sandals, 
put on a new coat, got a decent job, earned a little bit of money, stopped sleeping with prostitutes, uh, stopped drinking. Uh, it, it, it wasn't after he got his whole act fixed up. Right. Joined, right. joined the Bible study, put on a tie, went to church, uh, blah, blah, blah. No, it wasn't anything he could perform or achieve, either getting rid of stuff or adding stuff. The minute he got humble, seriously humble, and said, I'm jacked up and can't fix myself. I need my dad. The minute humility took over that son, that is when the father responded. So I'll tell you what, Mike, you'll probably agree with me. Every boneheaded and stupid and wrong <laughs> and damaging thing you have ever done or I have ever done traces back to my pride instead of me being humble, right? Amen. Amen. I totally agree with you on that. And since Jesus, Philippians chapter 2, is described as the most humble human being ever, even though he was God, giving up the position in heaven to come down to earth and washing feet and laying down his life on the cross voluntarily, even though Jesus was that humble, we, who are so imperfect, tend not to be humble. So I think what that means is that the most important thing for us in our spiritual life, A, in coming to Christ and the Father, and B, in growing in Christ and the Father and the mission as a husband or a dad or a grandpa or a men's leader or a worker or a boss, is humility. And we really need to become more humble every year and every experience we have, not less. Even if you learn a lot of the Bible and accomplish some good things for God, that ought to generate even more humility, like the Apostle Paul who says, I have no credentials. I'm the chief of sinners. I'm only capable because of Christ. Wow. Uh, if he's saying that, I think I need a little bit more humility. And maybe if I'm more humble, more of God's power will run through me as a husband and a dad and a servant and a leader. So humility is at the root of everything good, and pride is at the root of everything bad. Oh, man, I, I totally agree with that. And and I think that goes along with uh, understanding that is helping men to understand their need to have other men in their lives uh, to be able to walk through these. And your men's huddle is a, is a great concept that uh, I think a number of men need to have. Uh, they need to have that man in their life that they can just talk life about. You know, uh, most of the time when we get together, we talk about our fishing, that fish we called or that big buck we snagged or or the ball game, you know, like uh, March Madness is big right now. So everybody's talking about the uh, March Madness games. And, yep. But we need that man that we can speak uh, directly into about the, uh, our life issues. And, and I appreciate uh, this men's huddle that you've, uh, uh, you've been, you and I have been talking about some over the last few weeks. Can you begin to share some of that? Sure. Thank you. I, I've been speaking about it. I've been practicing it. You and I have been discussing it, but I didn't invent it. And it's actually not even unique. It goes back to Jesus. It's the huddle is basically intentional friendship of a few guys that connect regularly and help each other grow closer to the Father and live out God's purpose for them. Uh, Jesus did it with Peter, James, John. He did it with all the disciples. He didn't send them out alone. He sent them out two by two. Uh, he met with them as friends. That's how he shaped and discipled them. They had fun. They had challenges. They had nights on the water. Uh, they had fishing adventures. Uh, hey, try your 
nets on the other side of the boat. They caught 143 giant fish, couldn't even bring them all in. And then Jesus cooked breakfast for them on the beach, right? And then he restored Jesus, or he restored um, Peter, who had denied him three times. Jesus used intentional friendship mm -hmm. as his pathway for manhood, identity, and discipling his disciples. It should be exactly the same today. And the cool thing is every one of us loved friendship in junior high school and high school, um, in the army or on a sports team. We can remember when we had a couple close friends, but then we kind of lose it when we get too busy, wife, job, kids, this and that. Pastors lose it because they're busier than anyone else and they feel like they live in a, a glass house and they're afraid someone will betray them. Um, business leaders professional athletes, politicians, they rise up the ranks and then they start um, treating themselves with some certain pride, independence and distance. They isolate some and they're worried about their position. They don't drop their guard and have real friendships and then they, they have a falling, right? So this, this whole idea of intentional friendship that connects regularly where someone else sees you and you see them, um, it's a trusted relationship. It's a confidential relationship. Um, but it's, it sets you free from being trapped in the shadows of secrecy and sin and shame. Um, so let me tell a story or two about this. Number one, uh, I have a friend who believed in God, solid guy, wasn't a drinker, really a great teammate. Um, but he had one weakness. It wasn't hubris and that cocky pride. It was kind of a I can I can handle my problems myself pride that never told anyone what his struggles were. And when he had um, football injuries years after his football career ended from, from the NFL, um, and he started to have some CTE, the brain damage, mm -hmm. with the depression and emotions and problems that go with that, right. uh, he, he hid the problems from everyone, and he used vodka to numb the pain. He wasn't even a drinker. He didn't like the taste of vodka. He didn't go out to have fun drinking vodka, but it became his secret medicine, and it killed him because he couldn't accept help from his brother, a solid Christian strong man, from his wife, from other guys. He didn't have a small group, a huddle, meeting with him every week that could help him expose this problem. He did not ask for the power of the huddle and friendship in his life, and he lost his life at age 52. That's the damage of not having a huddle. Conversely, uh, I remember in uh, 1984, I walk into uh, a game against Houston Oilers late in the season. Eric Dickerson is uh, only like nine yards away from gaining 2,000 yards for the first time ever mm -hmm. in the NFL. And uh, it's my first year as a, as a starting quarterback. And uh, I walk in the huddle and, and looked at our great big line, looked at six foot four Eric with his cool goggles. Um, he was having a phenomenal game. And I said, what play do you want, Eric? And he looked at me with a kind of a gleam in his eyes that I could see <laughs> a smile. And uh, he said, um, 46 gap. And all the linemen kind of nodded yes and kind of leaned in. We said, ready, break, went to the line of scrimmage. The line powered off the ball plastered those defenders out of the way and Eric ran for 12 yards and gained over 2000 yards for the first time in history. That's the power of a huddle of men Amen. coming together. Yeah. More importantly, Mike, in a personal huddle that I'm talking about with you, 
Pete and Greg are my two buddies that I huddle with here. I have some other guys I Zoom huddle with that are in different locations. But I, I came one day and Greg couldn't come to lunch because he was out of town. That's the power of having a huddle of three instead of just two, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we, we still had a meeting that day, Jeff and Pete. I showed up at the Mexican restaurant and uh, I knew after coming off the road, I'd spoken at a men's conference and been in a hotel and uh, there had been some noise in the rooms next door to me uh, of sexual activity. And I had let my mind run with the lust and the imagination and the curiosity. And uh, I'd um, even kind of listened for it the next night. And I realized that if I wanted to live in the light and let my huddle be strong and be set free from my sin and actually confess it in a way better than just telling God vertically in private, I needed to tell Pete. And I didn't want to tell him because I thought he might think I was kind of a schmuck. Uh, you know, us, us guys are like that. I mean, well, that's, that's the enemy <laughs> telling us we're the only one who's messed up. And the other guy will, right. will think less of you and, and he won't respect you. Exactly the opposite is true. And I'll tell you about the social science behind that in a second. But so I decided I better tell Pete right away. First thing I said, Pete, I just got to tell you, um, here's a way that I failed uh, in an area of lust this weekend. And I just want to confess it to you and confess it to God. And he immediately leaned in, smiled, said, thanks for telling me, dude, I love sharing with you because when you're honest, it makes me want to be honest. And frankly, for about three weeks, there's something that I've wanted to confess that I haven't. And so he confessed it right there, and we were both set free, forgiven. Yeah, we oh, confessed man. we confessed our weakness and our, our failure and our sin horizontally to another trusted man, which made the confession to our Father in heaven vertically far more real. It actually turns into repentance, which means let's turn and not, not keep doing this. <laughs> let's go a different direction. So that's the power of a men huddle with a couple close friends where you self-disclose voluntarily and then you ask for prayer and you pray for one another. And Mike, in our group, the main thing we do is we, we get together and we say, what's the most important thing that you need to talk about this week? And then we just open up. Mm. Well, you know, the scripture tells us we need to confess our sins to one another you know, and pray for one another. You know, we see that in James 5, 16, t- teaching us to do exactly, exactly that. And uh, and so often we mean, you, you know, you hit a, you hit a, a statement that I uh, talk about regularly myself is that us men are, uh, well, you said it at the beginning of the program, that us men are isolated. We'd like to keep things to ourselves. We don't like to tell other people certain things that are going on in our lives because it gives we give the opinion of ourselves as being a weakling, being weak. And really, it's just the opposite when we do that, uh, being strong. And, and, and you said something about uh, sharing a little bit about the, uh, uh, the physics and the social, social yeah. aspect of how that's all about. Well, here's the, here's the thing that uh, researchers have found since we've really moved into understanding the brain more. So uh, neuroscience has found that when we drop our guard and disclose something, confess something Mm -hmm. to another person that it automatically generates endorphins in the other person that makes them trust you, respect you, and feel a certain bonding with you greater than they had before you confessed this thing that 
you were afraid to confess because you thought they'd think you're a schmuck or a failure or a hypocrite mm-hmm. or a liar uh, or a, a, a repeated failure. Mm-hmm. And then the second thing that happens in their brain, as God has wired us, the chemicals start firing. It creates an almost irrepressible desire in them to also self-disclose, become vulnerable and transparent and confess or disclose themselves. So that's exactly what happened with my friend, Pete. I shared something thinking he's going to think I'm quite the failure. He thanked me, trusted me, and immediately opened up to me and confessed something that he had kept in the shadows and in the dark for a while. So uh, it's not science that makes this happen. It's God. God wired us this way. Science is just just discovering it. But you and I are talking about this right now to remind every guy out there, particularly some leader who thinks that people should um, are really looking up to him and they'd be even more disappointed to hear about his porn problem or his drinking problem or his anger problem um, or that he's not talking to his oldest son. Um, He's so afraid of that, that the shame is making him isolate and not be the real man that he is authentic. Mm-hmm. And we want to remind him that you need to find a key confidant, a mentor, a friend or two, develop the trusted, safe, confidential friendships. And do we get burned occasionally? Yes, but not when you develop the deep friendship we're talking about. And then that man needs to drop his guard and spill the beans and let God start healing him. And it's, it's something Satan's been using to stop leaders from having friends and being protected by confession and transparency because we think, oh, we need to be held to a higher standard. They'll really be shocked if they know this about me. That's a, oh, trick, yeah. that's a trick of the enemy, straight out of screw tape letters, if, you, if you've ever read that book by C.S. Lewis. <laughs> I have read that book. Yep, I have read that book. Uh, well, you know, yeah. We're talking about this process, and and we know that there's men out there who do not or are not in in what we're we're classifying right now as huddles. Um, what would you say to those men? How would you say if they're they're starting to, if the Holy Spirit starting to pierce their heart a little bit, saying, "I need to know more about this." What would you say to them as far as getting involved or finding somebody uh, to be in a huddle? Well, first of all, I'm going to pray right now, Father God. Uh, for that guy that's thinking, man, I don't have a huddle. I don't have a place to uh, be real and authentic and disclose and confess. Um, I pray that you would take away the fear and give him trust and courage in you and that you would guide him to the right men to build that friendship with and that you would do the work uh, that uh, I can't do for him and that he can't do on his own. So make this happen, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So the gist of it is, I'd say, don't hold yourself to the standard that I got to be the super mature, I know everything about the Bible leader, because anyone simply can instigate this. No one guy leads it each week. It's owned by all three of you. Okay, it's iron sharpening iron. Um, It's mutual discipleship, mutual encouragement. And you're not there to teach the Bible to each other, though you'll draw upon the Bible. You're not there to correct each other. You'll basically disclose yourself, letting God correct you. And all you need to do is think of a couple friends, pray about it, and then call them up and say, hey, uh, I've been thinking I'd like to have a more intentional, consistent friendship. Um, 
and for the main purpose of growing as a man who's closer to God, closer to Jesus. And uh, I would really like to explore that with you. Um, here's the idea. We meet every week. Um, we pretty simply just check in with each other and say, what's the most important thing that we need to share and talk about and disclose? If there's something going on that we're having a challenge over, we ask for prayer. And uh, if there's an area where we're off track or sinning, we can confess that in confidentiality and safety to each other. Um, and then we have each other's back. That's a huddle. I'd like that kind of friendship with you. Are you up for that? And if they are, Mike, um, I know you'll help them because I've shared some of the ideas and resources. You've done this huddling idea throughout life and uh, I can help them. Uh, I've got information on the men's huddle dashboard and a quick men huddle guide kind of gives them a quick, you know, a tip uh, play sheet, so to speak. And I'm putting out some videos uh, really soon on, on, on my website that we can help them get the vision for this and learn how to do it as well. Yeah, and speaking of your website, that website is uh, jeffkilkting.com, or uh, I think you, you, you've told me before uh, in our conversations you have another one coming out just before the huddle. It's called menhuddle.com, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, menhuddle.com will be up real soon, but there's a button uh, at jeffkilkting.com uh, called Men Huddle, and they can find it right now. Mm, that's super. Yeah, I would, I would encourage you guys to go out there and look at that. And like Jeff said, uh, you can reach out to me also, and I'd be glad to uh, work with you in that process if you're still uncertain about what's going on. Or reach out to Jeff. Uh, go to his uh, website, and you can you know, get uh, contact. Well, I, yeah, beyond the website, they, I don't care if they call or email me. My my email is jeff at jeffkempteam.com, uh, jeff at jeffkempteam.com, and my phone number is 425 uh, 442-1110. There you go, guys. There you go. He's uh, he's uh, put thrown down the challenge for you uh, to to reach out to him if you need help. He'd be glad to be glad to talk to you. Well, let's let's shift gears just a little bit, but it goes along with that. You know, uh, two years ago when you and I first met, uh, uh, you gave me your book, Facing the Blitz, and that was a unique title, I think. And, and of course, it goes along with your NFL career of having to face the blitz from a football standpoint, uh, a, a football attack, so to speak. But we do, as men, face blitz every day. Uh, could, would you, can you share a few minutes of, uh, about that book and, and, and about the, uh, the need for men to have huddles to help them to face those blitzes? Yeah, that's a good point. Mike, um, having huddles gives you the team to help you face a blitz. Um, Jesus called us to do things with him. Paul said, I can handle all things through Christ who gives me strength. So um, when we face the trials and tribulations of life, which Jesus says you're going to get them, he said, hey, in this world, you'll be blitz, but don't panic. I've overcome the blitz. That's that's the NFL version for John 1633. Um but in this world, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have surprises, losses, challenges, trials, difficulties, tribulation, persecution, um, cancer, you know, um, family challenges. But God has overcome the world, and he turns the bad to good, the evil to good. He's mm -hmm. conforming us to Christ. That's the very model of how Christ saved us. He took a blitz. He was supposed to be the conquering king, thought the Jewish leaders. But it turns out that he gave himself up to be crucified by them and buried and all his followers scattered. But three days later, 
exactly what he said would happen, happened. He mm -hmm. rose from the dead and he turned the worst blitz ever into the greatest victory ever. So that model, which we also talked about earlier in the Joseph story, the Jesus story, the Joseph story, uh, the Jonah story, the Lazarus story, Jesus let the guy die and be in the tomb for four days before he healed him. And the reason was he wanted to show people that Jesus was the giver of life, not just a little miracle worker that could heal people. Um, that is, that's God's paradigm for life, is overcoming the blitz through Christ who gives us strength and with a team of brothers and sisters in Christ, the church, the body. Now, in football, when they blitz you, you don't know when it's coming, but you prepare for them. And your coaches give you some sight adjustments that the players make to not run the same play you were going to run. You do a different one. And the quarterback may need to, instead of taking seven steps back, you might just take three. And then he might have to stand in the face of this onrushing uh, uh, blitz, free safety, and get hit in the chin, but release the ball just beforehand to a different spot because the receiver changes his route because there's no free safety in the middle of the field. And all of a sudden they seize an opportunity that was inherent in the danger. Mm -hmm. It's a crisis, right? Danger and opportunity at the same time. And the quarterback may find out that he's on his back uh, rolling a free safety off of him, but the ball's in the end zone in the hands of his receiver because the blitz turned from bad to good in a matter of seconds. Now life's blitzes don't turn around that quick. Um, the apostle Paul explains blitzes in Romans 5, uh, chapter, uh, chapter, chapter 5, verses uh, 3, 4, and 5 say, um, we not only rejoice in our eternal life and, and, and glo glory with God in heaven, but we also rejoice in our blitzes. That's the NFL version. Uh, <laughs> ESV um, and New International might say, we rejoice in our tribulation mm -hmm. and, our, and our suffering and our trials and difficulties because tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance in our faith brings about character like Jesus Christ and character like Jesus Christ brings about hope that is eternal, Fail. not temporary. And hope doesn't disappoint because the love of God is poured out, poured out into our hearts through Jesus Christ's Holy Spirit when our circumstances are bad, but we focus on what we have in Christ, even more so than maybe when our circumstances are good and we're just coasting through life, not paying attention to God at all, and right. we're not feeling his love in the same way. Right. So that, that passage is kind of the, the persevere in blitzes to find uh, character like God and hope in God and, and love from God. But I don't think that's very possible, Mike. I, I used to teach that passage a whole lot, and then I realized – I don't think we can practice that very well unless we understand what um, Romans 5, 1 and 2 say, which is that we celebrate our new salvation and status in Christ. We now have a healed, forgiven relationship with the Father, and Christ is our Lord. We stand in grace and we're going to share in the hope of the glory to come forever and ever and ever. And that is worth celebrating. And that's our great treasure. It's like the treasure that that guy uh, Jesus talked about walking through a field, found a treasure, was so excited. He went and sold everything else so he could buy that field and have that treasure. Well, we need to be so excited and celebrate and rejoice so greatly in the forgiveness God's given us and the adoption into his eternal family and the identity as his son 
and the power of him in, in our life that doesn't make life easy, but it does make it transformative and triumphal, okay? Uh, we rejoice in that great treasure so much that then when a blitz comes, a problem, a difficulty, a hardship, a loss, we're saying, okay, God, you're up to something here. I can actually look forward to the opportunity to serve you. That's exactly what you did with cancer. And it turned into your ministry to men. It was a catalyst for good, you know, not a trap door for bad. Amen. I so totally that, that's that's God's view on it. And here's the three quick strategies for facing blitzes. Um, the premise is you need a team, God, and a huddle to process it with. I face blitzes with my wife as well. She's key on my team. Um, but here's the three. Number one, you need a long-term view. You need to think about the long-term, the end in mind. Think about eternity. 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, your legacy, your reputation, your grandparenting, uh, God's big long-term purpose. Number two, be willing to change. And that comes from humility. So number two strategy for blitzes and hardship and challenges in life is be humble, recognize you need God, be willing to learn what he wants to teach you because he's always teaching us and we have a lot to learn. And then drop the old play and run a new one, right? Dr. Phil would say, how's that working for you? It's not working. <laughs> if it's not working, try something different. You know, call an audible, sight adjust. Uh, and maybe it means listening more, apologizing more, forgiving for the first time, letting go of your money and giving God his full due, and realizing that all money belongs to God. Okay? But changing is the number two strategy. Be willing to change. And that comes from humility. And then the third strategy is take your eyes off yourself as a victim and focus on others. Be a blessing to others. Serve others. Invest in relationships with others. So it's a long-term view, a willingness to change, and a focus on investing in others. That's the way to beat blitzes. Amen. Well, Jeff, our time is up. I tell you what, we can continue talking about this for a long time. There's no doubt in my mind about that. This was the fastest 45 minutes I think I have seen. I've done this since I've been doing these podcasts, and it was terrific. A lot of great information. Let's tell our viewers one more time how they can get up with you. If you don't mind sharing that, uh, I know through the website of jeffkempteam.com or menhuddle.com, and your, and your email address again is... Jeff at jeffkempteam.com, same as the website, jeffkempteam.com. And my phone number is 425-442-1110. And I think we should mention, Mike, how important fathers are. And that fathers don't need to be perfect. They just need to run to the Heavenly Father, and he'll start fathering them. And then they can get from that Heavenly Father the forgiveness, the love, the wisdom, the guidance to start loving their kids the way that they're meant to, which might start with an apology and more humility. Um, And there's a great, great team of organizations called the Fatherhood Commission, and you can find them at uh, fatherhoodcommission.org. And we're all over the country, and we're helping fuel churches and men uh, across the country to fuel a marriage or a fatherhood movement. So a fatherhood commission org is another place where you can tap into some great resources and find some local groups, including Ed McGlasson, the fella 
uh, from Blessing of the Father Ministries that has helped me so much. Oh, man, I, I wish we could have gotten into some to talking about that some. Maybe we could have you on here in a couple more months again, and and we'll we'll spend our time talking about the fatherhood co commission because. Um, Fatherhood uh, or lack of fatherhood in a lot of our kids today is a a serious problem. We talk about pandemic with a virus. It is a pandemic in in people's lives too. It's, it's it is. It's at the it's at the root of so many of our um, issues. Not seeing God accurately and the dads being absent. So uh, you can find that at fatherhoodcommission.org. And again, uh, jeffkempteam.org. You can find Matt Huddle. And uh, the book is at facingtheblitz.org. We didn't mention that, yeah, facingtheblitz.org. And if you have not gotten that book or read that book, I'd highly recommend it. Um, uh, I've read it a couple of times now, gone through it, and it's highlighted a number of stuff in there that I reach, uh, I revert back to and look at. Jeff, thank you again for being with us today. I appreciate you, uh, you know, taking your time out of your busy schedule and uh, joining me for this podcast on Intentional Conversations. If you uh, want to know more about uh, what we discuss or you need some more information, you can contact me at mike.sandlin at capefearmen.com. Uh, dot net. That's mike.sandlin at kfearmen.net. And of course, Jeff gave you his information how you can reach out to him. I thank you for joining us and listening to the intentional conversations. Hopefully we'll have Jeff back on here in a, in a couple of months, a couple of months, and we'll talk about fatherhood. And uh, so once again, this is Mike Sandlin with uh, intentional conversations. God bless you. And we'll talk to you later. Thank you for listening to Intentional Conversations with Mike Salen. Intentional Conversations is a production of Cape Fear Men and Men's Ministry Coalition. In case you missed something or would like to review something said, this conversation will be available on the Cape Fear Men website within the next few days. Just go to capefearmen.net slash podcast to listen. You can also find us on iTunes and Spotify, and you will be able to listen to past podcasts. If you enjoyed today's program, I would like to ask you to consider helping us keep these broadcasts coming to you by donating to Cape Fear Men by either going to capefearmen.net and clicking on the donate button at the top of the page or text CAPE, C-A-P-E, to 50155. Cape Fear Men is a 501c3 organization and all donations are tax deductible. Thank you in advance for your donations. If you have other questions, drop us an email at capefearmen at gmail.com. Again, Intentional Conversations is a program where a men's ministry leader interviews leaders in men's ministry. Now, as the beloved mentor used to say, after finishing our time together, I pray God will give you the rock to stand on, a brook to drink from, and a tree to shake your back. Join us next time on Intentional Conversations. God bless.